Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brew Church Podcast. My name is Fabian. I am your host, and I'm glad that you are listening. If you would, please hit the plus button on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on Spotify as a way to help more people find this audio content. This audio is recordings from our Sunday gatherings. And if you would like to support what happens here on this podcast or in the Brew Church community in general, there's a giving button in the description of this. Uh, We hope that this is helpful for you and that you gain some good tools to lead to a life of abundance. Enjoy. So uh, how many of you all have seen the third Guardians movie? I'm just trying to figure out how many people I'm going to ruin this movie for. <laughs> just kidding. I'm not going to move it. Uh, ruin it. But um, recently, Chris and I, um, Chris is my wife, we went and watched uh, this movie in the theaters. And right off the bat, I would give it a 10 out of 10. It was a phenomenal movie. Uh it was long, but it wasn't one of those long movies that felt like it was dragging. It felt like every single part of the movie was important, at least for me. Um, and you know a movie's great when multiple times it both gets you to laugh and cry and maybe some combination of like laugh cry uh, and all the times that it does it, it doesn't feel forced. It feels authentic. So highly recommend the movie. Uh, but the reason I'm bringing this movie up as we're talking about the myth of perfection is because there's this line that the villain says in the movie that just sparks so many thoughts for this conversation on the myth of perfection. Uh, he says this at one point, I'm not trying to conquer the universe. I am perfecting it. And the best way to describe this villain, hopefully this doesn't give too much away, but he's kind of like Mangala, but in like a fictional world. And if you don't know who Joseph Mangala was, he was a scientist in Nazi Germany who did experiments on people. So that's kind of the best way that I can describe this villain. So that got me thinking about the myth of perfection because he sort of has this idea that there's this perfect version of humanity or all creatures that doesn't actually exist but exist outside of whatever is actually happening. And I think that's a great way to sort of capture what the myth of perfection does within every single one of us. The myth of perfection, I think the loudest voice or the best way to sort of encapsulate it is it's the idea that there's a perfect way that things could have or should have gone. And what creeps in when that myth gets loud is shame. Because shame says because things didn't go that way, then we should feel somehow less about ourselves. And I think this myth impacts so many areas of our life. Um, I think it sort of creeps in with that message that maybe there's this perfect job, this perfect partner, this perfect place to live, this perfect way that our life could or should look. It's the message that um, I think we get in the sports world that the only thing that matters is winning when like only a small percentage of the small percentage of people that even become athletes end up winning a championship, right? 
So what, are the rest of the athletes just wasting their life doing something unimportant? Um, it's the voice that says that there's a perfect way to look. And if we don't match whatever this ideal is, then we're not good enough. And I think it relates to the set of expectations that a lot of us maybe subconsciously have that came from wherever, whether it was um, family of origin, whether it was faith community, whether it was the friendships we had growing up. And I don't think there's a problem with wanting what's best, like wanting to be the best version of ourselves, wanting to achieve and succeed, wanting to strive. But I think the problem is when that shame comes in, when we don't measure up to those expectations, whether our own or the ones outside of us. Brene Brown says, says it this way, perfectionism is the belief that if we live perfect, look perfect, act perfect, we can minimize or avoid the pain of blame, judgment, and shame. And perfection at its core is about trying to earn approval and acceptance. That's what perfection, sort of the voice that creeps in. Now maybe you wouldn't claim to be a perfect, how many would you claim to be a perfectionist? Like you just say, like that's something that. Okay, only like a few are, you know, like I mean, yeah, yeah, reformed perfectionists. <laughs> um, but I think in some ways, and Brene Brown talks about this. We all have it within us. Like, for example, maybe this is something you've done before. Have you ever apologized to someone for just being you? Like. You're sharing something about yourself. You're like, oh, did I overshare? Or you're like being sad and you apologize to them for just being who you are in the moment. I think that's a little bit of that myth of perfection. Or whenever you make mistakes, do you ever feel a sense of shame? Or, you know, does that voice kind of repeat in your head that, oh my gosh, why didn't I do it differently? I think that's the myth of perfection. And I think one source of the shame that comes from the myth of perfection is in part due to the way we t sometimes talk about God. Does anybody watch Family Guy in here? No? Okay. Uh, it's like an adult cartoon if you're not familiar. But there is this episode where Chris Griffith, who's the son, uh, he hears this idea about God that God is watching his every move. So he refuses to go to the bathroom <laughs> because he's embarrassed that God's going to watch him going to the bathroom. And it's a cartoon, so obviously that's, you know, an exaggeration. But I think it captures many people's experience with the church and with God, that God has these unrealistic set of expectations that we must live by and is watching our every move if we don't measure up. And depending on the flavor of Christianity that you may have grown up with, uh, those expectations can vary. Like maybe some of you grew up in a version of Christianity that uh, had expectations about how to dress. Anybody grow up in like a like Sunday best kind of church where you like you wear suits. <laughs> yeah, like that. That's like you got to wear your best for God. Right. Um, this would not fly. Uh, I'd be a heretic in that kind of, <laughs> that kind of church space. Um, or maybe some of you grew up with like 
strict expectations on language. Um, so like profanity, profanity was a no-go, which not here, I guess. <laughs> no expectations. <laughs> but like what's interesting is if you go to some of those verses that people use to sort of talk about the problem with profanity, like the one where it says don't use God's name in vain, that has nothing to do with using profanity next to God. It's all about when you make deals with people and not lying to them because they're made in the image of God, so you're not supposed to take God's name in vain by lying to somebody So <laughs> and saying to them, oh, yeah, like, you know, like, we're, I, I'm going to uphold my side of the contract. It had nothing to do with, like, profanity. So, <laughs> so or uh, maybe some of us grew up with expectations of what was wrong or right to watch or listen to. Like, I grew up in a church that told me that Jack Johnson, um, or when I was in college, I was in a church that told me that Jack Johnson was um, not Christian, so I shouldn't listen to him. <laughs> and I'm like, banana pancakes is great. <laughs> so there's this sort of belief, right, in Christianity that uh, God sort of has these expectations of perfection for us. And then it kind of follows the theology. This is like Christianity 101. Um, well, because we can't meet the perfect expectations that God is angry, and so God needed to sacrifice Jesus to appease that anger because of our imperfection. It's like Christianity 101, right? But is that the only way to interpret this whole thing? Is that what God cares about? Is that what, how we should model our life based off this idea of a perfect way to live and anything else is less than? I would argue that God cares about some things, like how we treat our neighbor, how we treat our planet. But I would say God maybe cares less about other things, like um, keeping track of how many times we use the F word in a song at Brew Church. <laughs> Eight. <laughs> I would argue that there are God, there are things that God cares about that do help us flourish and that this idea that God has these unrealistic expectations creates a lot of shame and maybe isn't actually as helpful in transforming people's lives as we might think. There's this passage uh, in the book of Matthew where Jesus is quoted as saying, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly parent is perfect, which sounds like a contradiction to everything that I'm saying right now. Look, see, right there in the Bible, it says that God wants us to be perfect, so close the book, go be perfect, and because you're not, then uh, Jesus had to die. But I would say that that way of translating that passage is actually one way and it's based off the way we talk about perfection in the West, but isn't necessarily the only way to interpret it. The word that is translated as perfect there is teleos. And that word has another meaning that I think gives us a much more beautiful picture of the sort of invitation that God, the life that God is inviting us to live. 
the word can be translated as bringing something to completion. Wholeness, completeness. That when something is whole and complete, that is when it is perfect. And all the passages above that one line are about love. So I think there's something about love that relates to our experience of feeling whole and complete, to our being flourishing human beings, that there's something about fully accepting the love of a loving God and giving that love to others, sharing that love with others in our life, that that is where we experience whole and completeness. And that it's not about these expectations, this list of do's and don'ts, but that's about how close we are to that space of love and being loved. That is what God seems to care about. It's not about performance. It's not about appearance. It's not about behavior. It's not about this perfect way that our life is supposed to be as if God has this like strict, rigid plan for us and if we don't live by it, then we're failing. I think it's about how closely to love we align ourselves with. I don't know about you all, but it's exhausting to obey the myth of perfection. To believe that there's some perfect whatever beyond me, or there's some perfect way that I need to be, or to have that voice of shame rolling around in our heads anytime we make what we perceive as a mistake, telling us, oh, well, you've messed up too much this time. And I think if we only seek that, if that voice is loud in our heads, then we end up missing out on all the good and all the beautiful all around us all the time. And the things that we might label as imperfect might be some of the most beautiful things in our life. There's this uh, idea in Japanese culture um, some of you all might be familiar with this called wabi-sabi. Have you ever heard of this? Anybody? No? Okay. <laughs> this is fun. I get to talk to you about wabi-sabi. So uh, it's this idea that there's beauty and imperfection. And so you'll see it in like all kinds of things. It's like, it's like uh, design language for uh, sort of Japanese culture, but you'll also see it in like the clothing they make. So uh, the Japanese denim companies, uh, this is getting into like a niche area that I know about, so welcome to things that I nerd out about, um, denim. But Japanese denim companies will do this thing where they create uneven threads that makes these jeans that are unique, and they do it on purpose. So instead of having the perfect size thread for every single thread in the gene, they'll sometimes make little uneven imperfections on purpose because there's something about the whole picture once it's all together with all the imperfections and intricacies that makes it unique and special and beautiful. It's kind of like a tree, like a tree. What makes a tree unique is not how closely it matches to the perfect idea of a tree, but it's the own unique ways that the branches shape 
shaped and formed. And so I think there's something there, that there's this beauty in the imperfection. And in our own stories, we all have bumps and imperfections. And I don't think they should be something to be ashamed about. I think those are the things that make us uniquely us. We can't change our past. So I think when we learn to love what our story was and is, rather than critique what it wasn't, we begin to appreciate and have a greater self-compassion. And I wouldn't necessarily wish, I'm sure like you, the worst parts of my story on anybody. But those, parts of th those are the parts of the story that made me uniquely who I am. And yes, there's sadness, there's grief, there's loss, there's pain. And yet I wouldn't take those things away because they made me who I am today. I think the thing that God is inviting us to and that, um, and that be perfect as your heavenly parent is perfect is to learn to love every part of your life, whether it's the people in your life, whether it's your own story, whether it's your kids and how your kids are. I don't know, those of you who are parents, you maybe had these ideas of what they would be and you could compare them to that picture of what they would be or you could love them for who they are and who they turned out to be. Um, there's kind of that tension there, right? But when you try to sort of compare them to who you thought they would be, then I think you end up missing out on loving the person that they are. It, in this, this Guardians movie, a uh, big arc of the story, and I'm going to try to do this with as little spoilers as possible, is each character learning to love the unique gifts that they have. They're learning to love the way that they've been shaped and what they bring to the table instead of critiquing themselves based off what they think they should be. And I think there's a beautiful message in that. There's a beautiful message that this invitation to learn to love who we are and what we bring to the table and what our story was. Some of us have some scars Maybe there's still open wounds, metaphorically or literally, that we might be ashamed about. And I think the invitation is, in some weird way, to learn to love even the scars. I read this blog post um, recently where uh, this lady was writing about Jesus' resurrected body and how he had scars, and this is what she said. I've been thinking about scars a lot this week and how much of my life I spent trying to hide mine. I would use concealer on the scars on my face from all the surgeries I had as a kid. Most of my torso was covered in stretch marks from gaining 70 whole pounds when I was pregnant, so two-piece swimsuits were not my friend. And I always thought that scar on my knee was pretty gross, the one I got before getting clean and sober when I was drunk and thought riding my motorcycle on icy streets was a really smart thing to do on a Tuesday in February. 
And those are just the scars I have on the outside, if you know what I mean. I thought of this all week when reading this story about Jesus appearing to his disciples because what I realized is I find it comforting that this resurrected body did not erase the marks of having lived his life or even having endured his death. I found it comforting that when Jesus rose from the dead, he was recognizable by his scars. An imperfection. But he was recognizable by those scars. So I think we all bear scars in one way or another. And we will continue to have twists and turns in our life. But instead of measuring ourselves up to this unattainable standard that this voice of perfection sort of sometimes whispers, maybe quietly, maybe loudly, I think the invitation is for us to experience whole and completeness by embracing love. The fact that we are loved and the fact that we have the ability to love those around us to love our own stories, to have self-compassion, and to learn to love the life that we have, the people that we care about the most, the things that we do get to do in the world. Sometimes it feels like that perfect ideal is the most real version of life. But the most real version of life is the life that we actually live because it's the one that we actually have. It's the one right in front of us. So may we learn to love what we can love, change what we can change, but no longer allow the shame that says your life does not measure up to speak to us anymore. Thank you for listening to this episode. Peace and blessings, everyone.